Welcome to the Social Pros Podcast, the content marketing awards winner for best marketing podcast. This is where we shine the spotlight on real people doing real work in social media and learn the social secrets of the world's most interesting brands. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, social media strategy advisors and counselors to leading brands and organizations worldwide. Convince and Convert makes your social better. Emma, which provides innovative email marketing tools that drive brilliant results. Salesforce Marketing Cloud, inspiring one-to-one connections with your customers with integrated solutions for social, mobile, email, web, and advertising. And Yext, whose award-winning location management platform helps companies of all sizes drive more foot traffic to their doors. With Yext, update your location data once and publish it to your website, apps, over 100 publishers, including Google, Apple Maps, Facebook, Bing, and Yahoo. That's the power of location. That's Yext. Your Social Pros co-hosts are Adam Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud and Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. Ready? Let's get to work. Welcome, everybody, to Social Pros, the podcast for real people doing real work in social media. I am, as always, Jay Bear from Convince and Convert, joined, per the usual, by my man. He is the executive strategist of Salesforce Marketing Cloud. He is my special, special Texas friend, the one, the only, Mr. Adam Brown. Hello, howdy, Jay. How are you today? It is great to be here on another esteemed recording of the Social Pros podcast. Yeah, it's going to be a fantastic show, a little different format this time. Mm-hmm. Instead of having just one guest, we are going to have two guests on two, this episode. Two, two guests in two, one. Two, two guests. And it's actually a cool show because we are bringing to you, Social Pros listeners, the insights and entertainment value from the hosts of our sister show, Content Pros. They are Chris Moody, who's the Director of Content and Social Marketing at Oracle Marketing Cloud, and Randy Frisch, who's the co-founder of Uberflip. They are the co-hosts of Content Pros. They sort of do what Adam and I do, but for content, gentlemen, welcome to Social Pros. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad we figured out who to speak first. Usually we have our routine on content pros, but we, we figured out who to go first without prompting. <laughs> I snuck very it nice. in very quickly. Yeah, really. <laughs> these, guys are, these guys are professionals. Uh, Chris, let me ask you this question. You know, you've been in content marketing for a while now, several different positions, different companies. Um, is content overheated? Like, are we at the point now where where content marketing is not just a buzzword, but but is actually we're actually paying too much attention to it in the in the context of what else would we could be paying attention to in marketing in a business? I don't think so. I, I think the biggest problem is everybody is trying to chase clicks, so they write stupid articles that say like content marketing is a buzzword and stuff like that. But content is everywhere. And the definition of content is the thing that has changed quite a bit. It's not a silo or one particular team that's doing all of the work. But if you think about content, it's what sales is saying on the phone, what you're saying in a video, what is in the ebook that you produce, what's in the blog post, what's in the social post. So if you would treat content as, you know, literally everything we're writing, saying, doing, it's not a buzzword. It's not going away. It's not overused. I think it's something that we have to be more strategic about and try to align across the organization. Do you think that we're at a place now, we've talked about this a lot on social pros and sort of where, where social and content intersect, that there's so much content being created. I think you talk about this on your show all the time, that, that every business 
in business, essentially, is creating more content this year than in every year previously. Uh, and in that kind of hyper competitive environment, how important is content amplification now? I mean, you know, it used to be when you and I got started, when Adam got started, when Randy got started in this business, if you just created content and it was disproportionately good, you could win the content game based on merit, right? That you had better content than the next guy. I'm not certain that's the case anymore. I'm not certain that even good content succeeds without content promotion, without content amplification, just because of the competitive noise. Do you think that's true or do you think good content can still win just because it's quality? No, I completely agree. I actually like to use a slide that is filled of dreams and you know, it's if you build it, they won't come. And just because you produce something good, if it's not where people are at the right time, they'll never see it. And we see this with Twitter, right? I mean, you go to Twitter and watch how fast your news feed changes or your little scroll changes. It's so fast. There's no way for you to actually keep up with what's there. So you're dependent on algorithms or people sharing it or someone tagging you with a piece of content. And that's how you actually engage with it. And, you know, conversely, with what you said earlier, everyone's producing more content. We're actually trying to scale that back a little bit. And, you know, amplification is very important, but we're trying to understand extremely accurately what is working and why and understand the insights of that and say, okay, this worked extremely well when we did this campaign. It was this piece of content paired with this ungated asset. Let's do that three times and try to do one per quarter or four times in one per quarter instead of going out and producing 20 eBooks a year. And that's something that we're really trying to pare down because you know resources are limited. I think we're seeing content shock. Mark Schaefer's been saying that for a while, but it's true. There's no way any of us on this podcast can keep up with every good piece of content. So are you saying that Oracle is purposely creating less content and trying to figure out which content is successful and doing more only of successful iterations as opposed to just kind of living by volume? For our team, yes. So, you know, we've typically made the argument that it's quantity and quality, but we're not going to discontinue the blog or discontinue social. We're still going to have a steady cadence there, but with the big investment pieces, something that takes a lot of time or something that we partner with people and actually spend money on or design time, we're trying to limit the number of things that we do. And part of that, you know, we built this huge asset inventory of all of our pieces of content and tagged that by persona and funnel stage. And when you have several hundred pieces of content and multiple personas that they can be used for, you sit there and you say, hey, we actually don't need to create tons of new stuff. We may just go back and update this or polish it up with some new stats. So let's find the things that really work and just spend our time working more efficiently instead of scrambling because, I mean, we can get so busy with activities-based marketing that it will carry us an entire year regardless of what our strategy is. We can just stay busy. So we're trying to be really smart with our approach this year. How do you measure that? What, what, what kind of KPIs do you use to say, look, this content is so successful that we should do more of it? Is it is it consumption? Is it contribution to leads? Is it defined dollars that came from that content through the funnel? What, what kind of numbers does, does Oracle Marketing Cloud put against content to say, yes, this is good and this is maybe not as good? I'm sure it's no surprise to you guys, the, the host of this show with us, you know, coming from Eloqua, most of us, I came in through Compendium, but a strong Eloqua presence, our number one measure has always been marketing qualified leads. So that's the biggest thing that we track, but we also look at responses. So we can see the, the conversion from responses to marketing qualified lead. 
And within the next 12 months, I mean, we're already kind of there, but we're starting to focus on revenue contribution as well. So there are some things you just have to do. I mean, there are things that are in the awareness bucket where those metrics may be meaningless because it's just the right thing to do and we need to produce it. But for our team, if we're looking at our big KPIs, it's responses, MQLs, and then eventually getting into pipeline contribution. Now, content may not directly be pipeline contribution, but we want that to be a part of the equation to say that this is bringing in the right people who actually close business. Yeah. Randy, let me ask you uh, something that's been really on my mind lately as we continue to create content that convince and convert. And, and that's this notion of, of content that lives and succeeds off domain. So certainly we've got a ton of stuff at convinceandconvert.com. You have all kinds of stuff at uberflip.com. So does Adam, so does Chris. But now we have all these opportunities to create content on places like Medium and LinkedIn and now Facebook Instant Articles and SlideShare. Where do you where do you think business should be spending time and resources in terms of their content creation? Is it things on their .com or is it is it things in other places where perhaps have more native traffic or is it a combination? I, I think it's definitely a combination. I think it comes down to what are your goals? Um, and, you know, I, to Chris's point, I mean, I live in a world as well where, you know, the goal is an MQL is, you know, really driving leads and building out our funnel. Um, you know, but we also know that sometimes we talk to customers, you know, who are focused on engagement, on building brand and some of those channels out there, whether it's medium or whether it's, you know, older channels now, like, a, like YouTube are still great for building awareness, getting your brand out there. But the problem is if your goal is conversion, it's really tough to convert someone on those, on those, uh, you know, experiences. Um, you know, I, Chris, I, I remember we had Andy Christadine on, on our podcast, you know, last year and he gave some of the conversion rates on YouTube and they were just, they were shocking how low they were. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it, you look at all the distractions on those pages and it makes sense. So I think you really have to think about what are your goals in terms of where your content needs to be. I, I personally think about more syndicating content onto those other channels and and focusing more somewhat strategically on your own domain, right? Um, your own domain really needs to be more of a journey, which you know Chris was speaking about somewhat earlier in terms of how content's used. It's not that you need to just create content day in and day out. You need to start to think about creating content and mapping it to the buyer journey. Well, and one of the things that, that I have spent a lot of time on recently is making sure people realize that that buyer's journey doesn't end at the initial transaction as well. Is this idea of of content being created for existing customers too after the sale, you know, customer loyalty, customer retention, customer advocacy, customer service as content marketing source. Uh, I think we're not spending enough time thinking about that because everybody's being driven by marketing qualified leads and, and lead nurture and lead gen and demand gen, which obviously there's an incredibly important case to be made for for those kind of behaviors, but that's not when people say the buyer's journey, the buyer's journey doesn't stop when they give you money. Mandy, would you agree with that? 
Absolutely. You know, it's, it's funny. I think sometimes we get caught up on stats. Uh, you know, one of my favorite ones is that CB study uh, around, say, you know, how many people or how much information people know before they even talk to a salesperson. Right. Right. Um, and I think it's something like 70% of the information they need is learned before. And as a result, from a content marketing perspective, we obsessed with that top of the funnel. How do we create enough content there? But 70% is still only 70%, right? They still need 30, you know, to get over the line. And we know that that last 30 is actually often the toughest 30 of it. And that may be to get them over the line. It may get be to get them to renew. Um, so I think we're seeing a lot more emphasis. And I know I'm seeing this, um, you know, when I'm out talking to either customers or we're out uh, talking to even some of the partners we work with, where I'm talking to sales reps, trying to get them to work with us, you know, to partner in how we go to market and they get caught up in terms of, you know, how do, how do they get content? You know, how does the sales rep get content into their hands? And, you know, one of the, one of the funny, you know, examples I've, I've talked about, cause I've started to watch how salespeople do this. It's actually, it's really humorous how salespeople find content. The most likely way they do it is they go to Google. Right, which is so scary because as great as Google is at indexing, Google's indexing what's relevant over time. It's not indexing what's relevant to you as the content marketer this week. So if someone's going to go to Google, they even know they want a PDF. First of all, they're going to make their way past your gates that you've put up. They're going to find the PDF. And then when they've got that link, they're just going to start putting that link and maybe six others into an email to a prospect. And, you know, to me, that's what I call a black and blue email, right? You know, half black text, half blue uh, you know, uh, hyperlinks and I like that. I'm going to steal that black and blue email. That's pretty uh, good. That's good. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's funny. Like check your inbox though. You probably have so many of these and in a best case scenario, you click on one, but then if you really liked it, you're supposed to go back to your inbox to click on the second one. But by that point you probably have 20 other emails and we all know what happens at that point. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I love that you're doing right now at Uberflip is is our main sales reps to do that. You want to talk about that feature? You and I have talked about it a little bit. Some people know that I'm, a, I'm an investor in, in Uberflip. Uh, so I'm a big fan of the technology. We use Uberflip all the time. I convince to convert. Uh, big fan of Oracle Marketing Cloud and Salesforce Marketing Cloud too, and have relation with those guys. But uh, this new this new feature where sales guys actually have content that they can send to prospects in the funnel, I think is really, really smart. Randy, you want to talk about that just for a sec? Sure. Yeah, I love the love fest between all of our companies. It's awesome. Um, so it, it's actually funny. We, we what we do at Uberflip at, at a very high level is allow people to take all this content that they have and actually start to segment it and organize it better for their audience. And historically, that's been for something like a resources page on your website or a campaign that you're running around an event. Um, you know, we're going to be at MME next week. You know, we do other events like Salesforce events as well. So there's all these events that people go to where they need to present the right content to the right people. But we usually think about that on a macro level, as I describe it. What we've started to do is watch how people would take those macro streams for a persona or a vertical or an industry, and then they would start to almost reskin that for a one-to-one interaction. So we were watching people do this, and we were actually making it really 
tough to do it. It was a fun you know, realization that we were the obstacle to them being able to succeed at this. So we repackaged a part of our platform for sales reps to be able to build their own curated streams of content. So after I'm done with you know talking to that prospect, I can go and pick three, four different pieces of content. One could be a video, one could be a blog post. It could even be a tweet of you, Jay, saying you love Uberflip and you know that's what our reps will use you know, when they go and talk to people. So then they package that and then the key is how do we get content into people's hands? So what we did was we built a really slick integration into Outlook and into Gmail so that you can click a button and a little modal pops up, you pick the content you want and it drops a nice little tile into the email so that you can engage with your audience. So really, yeah, I mean, we have so much more we can do on this product, but people have been loving it and it's honestly fun. I mean, I I use it myself, I'm not even in sales, but I use it you know, whenever I'm talking to influencers, thought leaders, because I want to package all my thought leadership to them after a great call. I, I love that idea, Randy, of, of what Uberflip, you know, one of the, the, the tools that your, your, your technology stack can provide. And that's like putting the, the right content in the hands of the, that trusted source or that, 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 that sender who the, uh, the recipient hopefully knows and, and has a relationship with. And I think that kind of speaks to kind of one of the, dichotomies, at least that I've seen, Chris, kind of where we are with content marketing right now. I think it, it used to be, you know, we had a dearth of content. You know, we, 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 we scrambled to find it. But one of the things, Chris, that you even alluded to was a lot of companies already have a whole lot of content and it's created kind of an entirely new set of challenges. Uh, last week, uh, Jay and I were, were speaking to Lori, the, the head of uh, social and digital marketing at Rayathon. She mentions, you know, they have a weekly meeting of all these different departments and organizations that create content so they can, they can share content. And I can remember doing this at Dell and I can remember doing this at the other companies where, where I've worked. My question for you is, you know, how is this sharing going with the companies and organizations that you work with? And are we getting kind of closer to a point where one or two teams will kind of quote unquote own the content for the organization? Or is it the fact that content just comes from, from all these subject matter experts emanating from all across the, uh, the company? How do you, how do you herd these cats? So I think it's both of those scenarios. Um, unfortunately, I'd love to take one side of the fence, but <clears throat> I know for us, the challenge that we had, which, you know, we unified content and social under one group. That was the first thing that we tried to do. Um, we're a small, nimble team, but we work throughout our organization to support a variety of offerings and solutions. Now we create more of the top of funnel content, but we do stretch into middle and bottom of the funnel as well. So the role that we tried to play after we worked extremely closely with our demand team, so the, the folks who are actually deploying the campaigns, building things out in Eloqua, sending out all of those messages, tracking the results, once we really understood how that worked and how we worked together and came up with our demand calendar and what assets we were plugging in and when, we started to see that there were lots of other sources of content and no one had a pulse of what all was out there. So we're talking about a global organization, um, different regions are creating content, different teams are creating content. So we really tried to start to pull that together and that's what led to that asset inventory and it was a, a big undertaking and it actually lives in Excel right now. It's something we're trying to get into one of our products, but you know, it's a 350 line item Excel spreadsheet 
that has every individual piece of content, every infographic, every ebook, every slide share presentation, every customer video, every customer story. And we've tried to associate the corresponding persona and the funnel stage. And then also, what does that associate to for product interest? So we have the code that is applied to demand. We link to the landing page there. So it's this huge library of content. And the way that we're using that is to go through in a sortable fashion and understand for this persona, for this funnel stage, what's actually working for whatever the most important metric is at the time. And that's a group effort. I mean, we don't own all of the content that's there, but we've made the commitment to the other teams that if you put it in this format, we will put it here. And then it gives us one centralized view where we can start to understand what's out there. How can we use it? How can we be more efficient? And we have some folks, um, particularly the person who heads up all of marketing and EMEA, they're actually showing this to sales reps and BDRs. So all the people who are on the phone, they're saying, look, here's all of the content you can use and we can help you guys build this out into templates and all of that. But don't come to us and say, you don't have content for this. Well, I think the interesting point, Chris, is you know, by definition, this is almost creating another problem and, I'll, and it's a good sort of problem. You know, it, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of the tail wagging the dog. You know, if, if, if you truly are in this kind of utopia of an organization where you're sharing content and you and the social team may create content that then ends up being used for an email or ends up being used for a, uh, an ad banner program or, or vice versa, you, you get to the point where, okay, was that program successful because it was really good content or it was really good placement? And, you know, in, in some organizations, you know, you've got to figure out who gets kind of quote unquote credit for that. But again, if you're having successful content, I'm, I'm more than happy for multiple people to take credit. Is this creating kind of a, another challenge? And do you, how do you see companies kind of reconciling that? So I, I think it could create a challenge. I, I think the biggest thing is how you bring this about and communicate it amongst your organization. So for us, uh, the content and social team is separate from the demand team, which is separate from field marketing. We're a very large organization, as you happen to work in one of those as well, Adam, so you, you know this problem. Uh, but we brought this to market and said, hey, content and demand have worked together to pull all of this together. So two of the groups who could potentially fight for credit are already on the same page and we sing the same song too. So if you talk to demand, they'll say, look, most of the content that's in our stuff is created from the content team over there. And if you talk to us, it's like, look, when you see that spike here, that's because it was in the demand outbound campaign. But being able to track the campaign is another important flavor of metrics and being able to slice and dice it is extremely important because as you said, it it may not be that individual piece of content. It may just be, hey, if you send this out to this audience of 50,000 people or 100,000 people, it's going to get clicks, even if it's a terrible ebook, right? Maybe that's the case, but it's important to understand that and try to pull out the insights. And I, I think that's one of the biggest things. And we're huge fans of Avinash Kaushik and a lot of the things that he's written. But metrics are metrics. What really matters are the insights. And that's something that we've been fighting pretty hard to get to over the last year is to really understand, okay, yeah, it's trending in the right direction, but what can we learn from this? Or, hey, no one really read the blog this month. You know, why is that? Is it because we did too many posts promoting our event or do we do too many posts for partners? You know, whatever the symptoms are, we need to really diagnose here's what's happening and why and make better decisions based on that data. 
and Chris, that's kind of a perfect segue kind of to my, my next question for, for Randy. You know, if you think about the who, what, where, uh, why, you know, the why is the analytics, you know, and the, and the who is and, and, the, and the what are, you know, pretty self-explanatory. I'm curious, Randy, your thoughts kind of on the where. Are we seeing any movements on where people are engaging in the content? You know, I call it the bezel. You know, what, what is that bezel that people are looking at this, this source content from? You know, is it, is it a social media property? Is it, is it going straight to video? Where, are, are you seeing any transitions in that, uh, both in the level of efficacy versus the, the expense of it versus just kind of where audiences seem to be migrating? Yeah, I, I think, again, it's it's about getting more targeted in general, right? So, you know, lately, Chris, you can probably agree with this. I mean, it feels like every other person who comes on to Content Pros and talks to us also wants to talk about account-based marketing, right? I mean, it's this other huge wave. And I think, you know, back to your point of where um, is the decision of where is really starting to depend on who you're trying to target in this moment. Um, and that's becoming much more, you know, the way we think about it, which is, which for content, you could almost say is a similar trend of where social has gone over time, right? At first with social, it was, let me just blast something out. And then we started to get more focused, you know, whether that was around a hashtag or whether that was around, you know, an event or, you know, something literally in that moment where I thought I could go and reach people. So I think, you know, the, the opportunity here is starting to be more targeted. I mean, we, we at Uber, flip for our own marketing um, have also started to think, okay, how do we pull our content into advertising? Um, and, you know, we've we've invested both in that as a strategy as well as software, um, you know, to, to support that. We just brought in a tool called Terminus that allows us to more so target people through advertising, but using content also within that. And, and Randy, to that point, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on kind of this intersection now of, of paid and and earned and owned and is it good for for content marketers or, or even for for all marketers you know on one end you know we know that that, that you know paid can give us a lot more discipline uh, and filtering and perhaps we see a kind of maybe less authenticity because people know that they're they're being targeted you know with the pure earned and owned we have a whole lot more eyeballs but maybe you know the message wasn't resonated as much because it wasn't as targeted as it relates to a content marketer, is is the movement towards more paid, more targeting good because you kind of know your audience a little bit more? Or is it kind of bad because this means we have to spend more money on actual buying those eyeballs and less money on actual producing the content itself? Yeah, I don't think that there's anything wrong with paid. I think that's a natural evolution is, as it gets tougher, as we've talked about, to break through uh, all the content that's out there. I think that the scary part to me is people who go paid but don't think about what's next. So, you know, someone who says, all right, well, I'm going to stick a ton of money into something like LinkedIn sponsored posts. And, and don't get me wrong. I actually think LinkedIn sponsored posts are fantastic. They do really well for us here. But I've had times where I've clicked on one of those sponsored posts. Then I'm done on that. And then what happens, right? There's actually quite often not another piece of content that's suggested to me. I came to that piece of content from an infinite scroll of content on LinkedIn. I naturally am there to snack on a whole bunch of stuff. So how are you not giving me that 
that path towards an outcome. And this, I think, is where it comes back to, to Chris's point earlier, which is, you know, a lot of the reason that content marketers are investing in all these things is for an MQL. So if you don't give that path to either more content or conversion, then there's a big problem with, you know, just jumping to paid just to break through the clutter versus jumping to paid to get people, you know, who you want to target into your site and then having a plan to continue that journey from there. I want to pivot a little bit and Randy, I want to ask you this question first and Chris, feel free to, uh, to tag along. You know, we, we know in, in content creation, there's a lot of places we have to spend money. It's on production, obviously the placement, and sometimes it's actually you know, your spokesperson. And I'll admit something, I've over the past probably month or so, I've kind of gotten addicted to vlogs. And especially, I don't know if you guys know Casey Neistat. He's a guy who um, had, had a, you know, a couple shows on HBO. His, his vlogs get about a million uh, views uh, a day on, on YouTube. Really incredible stuff. And it really speaks to the importance of storytelling and well-produced, not highly produced, but well-produced content. My question for both of you, and if we put our consumer hats on here a little bit, is you know, how do marketers leverage people like this, these vloggers and these kind of celebrity social people? Is it easier for people to kind of quote-unquote create kind of a new Casey and a new spokesperson that they can then amplify and control? Or is it better to leverage kind of existing talent and content curators recognizing that they're going to have to probably sponsor them or endorse them or, or, or pay them. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's, that's a tricky one. I, I think, you know, really, I, I think it's a balance. I mean, a, a lot of the reason that some of those guys are as followed as they are is they're authentic and, and people are looking for authenticity yeah. with those people. So when you start to, you know, infuse brands in the wrong way, it, be, it becomes very tricky. I think a lot of what needs to happen there needs to happen behind the scenes um, in terms of building a relationship and, you know, really, you know, building, building that trust over time um, because these influencers are smart and there's a a lot of people throwing opportunities, you know, towards them. So, you know, my opinion is that, you know, that the audience that we're speaking to are bright um, and they're going to see through this stuff um, if we don't make it authentic. So, you know, I, I think it's, you know, long term, it's about building relationships yet again. Yeah, I, I agree with that too, Randy. I, I think it's almost two separate categories and two different types of things because with the internal spokesperson, unless you've hired someone extremely strategic or you have someone that already has that following and that audience, it's really difficult to just say, okay, you know, cameras on, get out there and get some people and become influential. I think you still want people who can tell your story and can go out in the marketplace and resonate with your audience. That's very important. But as Randy alluded to, I mean, most of the folks who are extremely influential on Instagram, Vine, Vlogs, YouTube, whatever, like Casey Neistat, I mean, they've been doing this a long time. It is not an overnight success. You know, it's like the 10-year overnight success. They've been doing it. Now it's finally taking off, and they have this huge following. People are watching them to see how they produce the video, what type of camera they're using. I mean, there's so many things that people watch. And, I mean, there's a whole market around all of those folks. And you can build relationships with them, but there are also services to actually hire them out, sponsor them, whatever. I know Nick Cicero started one called Del Mondo, which... 
you know, is trying to pair people with those influential folks. And at our event at Modern Marketing Experience, we actually have Zach King, who's one of the most influential people on Instagram and kind of or Vine both, I, I think now, but um, he does the magic tricks. So if you've seen the video editing where things just magically disappear and some of the cool stuff, I couldn't do that. I mean, my brain doesn't work that way. Even if I did those videos, I might get five likes or something. So he has a very captive audience. And if it makes sense for our business to be in front of that audience, then that's someone I should partner with. But I think it's a big difference, even if the content is similar, because they already have their following. They've built their tribe and they have a lot of trust there, as Randy said. Speaking of uh, creating content in new platforms, I... I've just recently rolled out a brand new show called Bear in the Woods, which is sort of the new postmodern version of my former series, Jay Today. Bear in the Woods comes to you on Snapchat four times a week. So tune into the Snap. We'll put in my ghost code into the uh, blog post at socialpros.com to tune in for Bear in the Woods. In fact, I'll be doing a Bear in the Woods, I'm sure, one, maybe two, at the big Connections Conference brought to you by Salesforce Marketing Cloud. It is next week, May 10th through the 12th in Atlanta. I will be there. Adam will be there, of course. Uh, other speakers include Captain Scott Kelly, famous astronaut Robin Roberts, uh, folks from Facebook, Instagram, more than 100 breakouts. There's a street festival. We're going to be doing a live episode of Social Pros at the conference. We're going to be interviewing Susan Eitlinger from Altimeter Group. It's going to be terrific uh go to salesforce.com slash connections uh tickets still available salesforce.com slash connections next week in atlanta adam what else should we know you you have uh, you have given a great elevator ride of the uh, of the couple of days uh, we're so excited to be in atlanta uh this year for uh, for connections and as you said great speakers great breakout sessions both kind of on the tactical side of how to use our products and tools as well as you know more strategic things and we are certainly excited jay to have you as as one of our, our keynote speakers as well I, i'm just so looking forward uh, to it it's going to be a blast. I will also be at Chris's conference, but by the time you hear this podcast, that will already happened. Uh, the uh, big modern marketing experience in Las Vegas and just announced for the first time ever right now on this show, I'm also going to keynote Randy's conference. So I hit all hey, three, a triangle of awesome August 22nd to the 24th in Toronto. Uh, you can come up there and see me with my pals at Uberflip. Trifecta. Right. I should get some sort of a t-shirt for that a concert <laughs> shirt on the back with dates. Uh, also this week, in addition to our pals at Salesforce sponsors for uh, the big social pros show, include Yext. Uh, love those guys. Y-E-X-T. Look, so you might have a store locator on your website or on your mobile app, but for most companies, it's like, yeah, well, we got to have one of those. And some you know, programmer named Bob built it like six years ago, and it kind of sucks. It's certainly not a marketing asset, but you can turn it into a marketing asset by partnering with our pals at Yext. They can do all kinds of interesting things behind the scenes to turn those store locators searches into customers, boost your local SEO, and really increase the efficacy of your local marketing. They really have a better mousetrap. Go to offers.yext.com slash store locators. That's offers.yext.com slash store locators, plural, uh, and you will learn all about that. Also this week, the show brought to you by Emma, whose conference I was at a couple of days ago. And so it's not just a trifecta. It is a rhombus or something. Uh, <laughs> Love those guys. A tetrahedron, a terrific conference called Marketing United. They had it in Nashville where they're based. 
great company. Love them. They have a terrific ebook that you can find at myemma.com slash click. That's myemma, E-M-M-A, myemma.com slash click. And it's called The Simple Psychology Behind a Great Call to Action. So it's the kind of things that we don't think about very often until we have to do it. Things like, hey, uh, instead of having the black and blue email that Randy talked about earlier, what if we really wanted somebody to, to actually take action in this email? And so we've got a, a, a call to action in the email well, should that button be blue or red or green or yellow? What should it say? Should it be round or square? Should it be shaded or not shaded? Should it be justified left, right, or centered? Like all these crazy questions about calls to action. Emma went through, tested it, and then gave you a bunch of recommendations how to do it better. Super useful stuff, free. Thanks as always to our friends at Emma, myemma.com slash click. Now, speaking of, of Randy, uh, Randy, you and Chris have been doing content pros together now for a while. What is your take on, on podcasting as a content vehicle? How how does podcasting work for you? Where do you think podcasting is headed and and how do you like uh, doing that kind of, of content creation? Yeah, I, I think it's great. I, you know, first of all, I, I've really enjoyed it. I've enjoyed getting to know. I mean, some of the the guests that we're having on Content Pros are amazing. We have we have great thought leaders like yourself, Jay. But we've got a lot of great practitioners uh, who I, you know, I think sometimes we overlook. You know, the ability to learn from people who are doing this job on a day to day basis and and getting them on the phone. So I, I think you know, it's it's that natural content or case study type of type of information that people are craving the most these days. Um, so I think that that's, that's really, you know, I think, I think, you know, one of the things that we've been trying to figure out on podcasts and, you know, we're learning as we go, um, both in terms of the information I get from your team, but we've since actually spun up a podcast at Uberflip ourselves called flip the switch. And, you know, one of the things that, that we've been really trying to learn is how do you think about, you know, podcasting as a tool, um, for generating leads, you know, what are the clever ways to do so, whether it's advertising, whether it's, you know, different people who have heard it. And then how do we trace that back to understand the importance of that content asset along that journey, as we've been talking about today. So I think, you know, the the big thing for us and for me is, you know, to keep educating myself on not just how do you deliver great content, but how do you figure out, you know, how that helps in that long tail that we're building out there on the web. Yeah, it's a tricky proposition. It is it is a it is an immature industry from a metrics perspective, unfortunately. But there's a lot of smart people uh, trying to work on. It. I think we're all on the right side of history, though. If you look at the most recent report from Edison that shows, you know, a, another giant leap forward in in podcast listening, at least in America. Uh, I think the new number is 18 percent of Americans have listened to a podcast in the last month. Uh, that's a lot of people. So, and and the average podcast listener listens to five shows per month. So, uh, you know, all all signs are pointing up, which is good news. Chris, you guys have done a bunch of shows. Not even I, I lost count. I mean, even though Convince and Convert produces your show, I don't remember how many episodes you've done. I should look it up. I could look it up, but I won't. Uh, give me a couple of your favorite shows that you've done. Sure. So, I think one you did an amazing segue for and mentioned Edison Research. We've had Tom Webster on the show twice. We had him in season one and season two. And it's amazing to me that every marketer in the world does not know Tom Webster. There are plenty that do because he speaks at tons of events. But Tom is one of the smartest, most intelligent, funniest folks I've ever met in my entire life. And I always enjoy talking to him and I always learn a ton. So I think both of those 
were amazing. One where people may not know the company or the folks on the podcast, we did one in season one with Pet Relocation. And it's still one of my favorites because they have such a mastery of content marketing and how it works for their organization. The whole time, it was with Amber Naslin, and the whole time we were just chatting back and forth saying, wow, I mean, I learned so much from them. And I love the ones, Randy was alluding to this too, I love the ones where Randy and I sit there and are kind of dumbfounded by how well they're doing with content marketing. And those are my favorites. I think it's it's great when you can connect to lots of people and meet various thought leaders and influencers and talk about book launches and all of those things. But the people doing the work tend to stand out. And then one last one, um, we had Judson Lapley on the show and Judson created the evolution of dance, which was the number one video on YouTube sitting at around 296 million views right now. And that was kind of fun. Just unpacking the story of how that happened and what he's learned and 10 years later, actually doing a video with YouTube that was produced by YouTube. So that was a pretty cool story, how one individual piece of content had legs of its own and how that changed Judson's life. I mean, that's an example of where you have a, you know, one video that pretty trans, pretty much transformed that, that guy's entire life and his career. And that, that's just absolutely fascinating how, how, how a medium like social can, can have that, that impact. I want to kind of ask the same question Jay asked, but with a slight different distinction. And that is, I'd love to know the most surprising things both of you have learned from uh, from your guest. I know I have learned so much in, in doing the show with Jay, you know, over the past, I guess, six six or seven months or even a little bit longer than that. And I would think in, in, in the content side, space the space is changing so dramatically. I mean, this isn't, you know, just about storytelling from a creative and artistic standpoint, but there's a, such a healthy dose of science that it takes to, to make all this uh, work. Randy, you're first. Um, anything really surprising that you've learned from uh, from your guests, you know, over the past months? Yeah, well, I, I think we learned something funny at the end of every episode because Chris has a great question he likes uh, to ask in terms of what people want to be when they grow up. So that that always gets some good good uh, stories. Yeah. But uh, you know, more so, I, I think the the most interesting one to me was there was an episode we did. Chris, you'll remember this one probably with Pat Spenner, um, and he's with CEB Insights. And you know, when you think about content pros, we naturally think about a show that's purely for marketers. Um, you know, content marketing, which has been that buzzword we talked about earlier, because of the word marketing in there, we frame every conversation around content to apply purely to marketers. But, you know, Pat gave this talk about the importance of thinking about, as we talked about earlier today, the entire buyer journey and how do you think about content being used at each stage. And he spoke a lot about you know, the power of content in the in the hands of a salesperson. Um, and what was amazing to me was I've now taken that podcast and every time we hire a new salesperson at our company, I make them listen to it, right? Um, not just because we're in the content marketing space, but because I think it can educate them as to you know how you know different members of an organization can leverage content and how that it's really matured in terms of you know a way we think about marketing. So I, I think you know back to your point in terms of you know something surprising is is that we are catching up in terms of the maturity of content as a whole. Chris, what about you? 
Well, Randy stole the one I was thinking of because that was an Co-host amazing... Co-host will do that from time to time. Yeah, yeah, you know, great minds. We tend to say that on chat like every other episode. We'll kind of steal each other's thunder, and it's it's nice when that happens. Uh, one other one that stood out, we had a great conversation with Mark Schaefer, and the title of this one on uh, contentprospodcast.com is The Rise and Fall of the Lazy Marketer. And I think it was timed very well where we were all so busy with the event circuit and you sit there and, and you actually have this retrospect where you say, you know, we were talking about this five years ago and it hasn't changed that much. And Mark has a very distinct viewpoint because he's running a consultancy. He's running an amazing blog. He's also an educator and is teaching lots of folks. And just hearing what he's seen on the front lines of education and some of the internships he's tried to hire where he has had zero applicants for paid internships because people didn't want to work. And just some of the the things he taught us about where he's seen the industry and some of the things we're failing to grasp. It was really enlightening to me because I think we always tend to chase the next big thing and we worry about what the next big thing is. But at some point you have to sit there and say, you know, maybe the next big thing is actually doing our jobs better. And that was one of those shows for me where I came out of that and, you know, we're really not solving all of the marketing problems in the world yet. And we'll continue to chase shiny objects instead of doing that. Yeah. The next big thing is doing small things, right. Uh, is what I often say. And I couldn't, couldn't agree more guys. Fantastic to have you on the show. Congratulations on all the success with content pros. I hope everybody who listens uh, to our show uh, downloads content pros as well. You can, of course can get it uh, in iTunes or Stitcher or or, uh, overcast or whatever apps that you happen to use for your podcast. Awesomeness. Going to ask you guys the two questions that we've asked every one of our guests here on 200 and whatever it is, episodes of social pros. Are you ready? That's actually not the question. That was just uh, a, you know, a transition. Uh, The first question is, are you, ready uh we don't get a lot of great answers there so the first question i'll, I'll see we'll go uh, we'll go randy uh first on on this question uh first question randy frisch co-founder of uber flip is what one tip would you give somebody looking to become a social pro i, th- I think it's you got to immerse yourself in the company i mean you know for us social on our team means that you've got to find out what everyone in the marketing team and beyond is, is worried about, whether that's, uh, you know, the content team, whether that's the demand gen team, or whether that's even our success team to make sure that you can announce some of the successes of our customers. So I think the key is to immerse yourself through the, through the org. I couldn't agree with that more. We don't talk about that enough. I, I still see too many instances. I talked about it a little bit in my new book, Hug Your Haters, but I still see too many instances of of people being put in charge of social that don't really know anything about the company at all, uh, which is kind of a dangerous game to play. Uh, Chris, I know that's not the case at Oracle Marketing Cloud under your stewardship, uh, but same question to you. What one tip would you give somebody looking to become a social pro? I was hoping you would ask me that question too. The thing that drives me crazy, this is social content, any type of marketing. Folks who do not understand business goals and putting strategies against those goals. If you cannot do that as a marketer, your future is dead on arrival. Because whatever job you're in, there always comes a time where you have to justify what you're doing, show the value, show how it's changed, show the impact that you've made. But look how and pretty if you this Instagram photo is. Isn't that enough, Chris? Come on. Yeah, we've got tons of kill. likes. 
Yeah, tons of likes, and I appeared on Social Pros podcast, right? Like, I, I would not email our GM and say, guess what? Like, I was a guest on a podcast, right? And he'd be like, yeah, how much money did that cost? So not knowing what's important automatically puts you in a very dangerous place to for your career. And I think that's something that is not taught in education, bringing that back around to the podcast with Mark Schaefer. And it's something that everyone just has to learn. And and there are free resources out there. There are podcasts yeah. like this one. You can definitely listen up. But that drives me crazy because it's something that I have not seen change in the last 15 years. It's still the same number of folks who really don't understand how to map process and strategy to business goals. Last question uh, for you all. Thanks again for being on the show. This one's to you first, uh, Chris Moody, who is the head of content and social for Oracle Marketing Cloud. If you could do a Skype call with any living person, who would it be and why? Uh, I, I would definitely pick Barack Obama. I, I think he has done so many amazing things. And no matter what your viewpoint of him is, I think most people can agree that he seems like an amazing person. And I would just like to hang out with him for a while. I think that he's taken some very strong stances on issues that are touchy. And it's not to appease people and to win favor or votes or anything like that. I think he's just standing up for what he believes is right. And I find that very admirable. So I think that would be an amazing Skype conversation. If you can make that happen, Jay, that would be cool. I don't have that kind of, that kind of run, but I'll do my best. Also, you're a big basketball fan, Moody. So he's also got a jump shot. So that's, uh, that's good news for you. That's right. I do pull for Duke though. So we may have some issues. Uh, Randy, are you going to go with uh, uh, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as a uh, as a proud Toronto resident, or do you have a different answer for the person that you'd want to have a Skype call with? Yeah, I was going to say Canadians aren't really going to lean to a politician. We're just we're just not passionate enough there. But uh, I think for me, it would have to be Elon Musk. I, I just uh, I you know to me, I, I don't know etiquette here, but he's a get get stuff done. I'll say type of guy, and and that's that's my mindset as well in terms of of how we build our business. But more so, I mean, if if anyone watched the unveil of the Tesla three, you know, a number of weeks back, I just thought it was such a good job at your typical sales presentation or elevator pitch. I mean, it it started with, you know, the whole problem before showing me all the features of the car because it's just another car. Right. But, you know, he made me feel, you know, empathy towards why he built this and, and everything like that. And I think someone who can do that with every product he brings to market is uh is something i can learn a lot from yeah that that presentation very much followed uh the classic um kind of hero's journey storytelling you know kind of cadence that you do and that kind of thing i was i was watching like wow this is he's got it down somebody has trained him in this process and actually ironically if we're going to keep pitching uh, sister shows that's what they talk about every single week on one of our other shows called the business of story which is how you can be an incredible communicator an incredible marketer by using those kind of hollywood storytelling principles in your marketing in your presentations exactly what uh, elon musk did in the uh, in the tesla 3 rollout randy terrific answer guys thanks so much for being on the show we love what you're doing uh, at uh, Content Pros. We really appreciate you taking the time to be here as well. Hope everybody goes over to the Content Pros uh, site, grabs uh, an episode, downloads it, subscribes, all those kind of things. I will see each of you in some form or fashion at an event coming up soon. So that's going to be exciting as well. Uh, Next week on Social Pros, it'll be Adam and I live from Connections doing a live episode with Susan Eitlinger. So we're excited about that. Until then, I am Jay Bear from Convince and Convert. He is Adam 
Brown from Salesforce Marketing Cloud. He is Chris Moody from Oracle Marketing Cloud, and he is Randy Frisch from Uberflip. This, my friends, this has been Social Pros. Thanks for tuning in to Social Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to socialpros.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Social Pros is sponsored by Convince and Convert, Emma, Salesforce Marketing Cloud, and by Yext, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Social Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by audiobag.com.